Hallelujah. As you're sitting, we dismiss our children to core kids. You are dismissed to your classes at this time. Praise the name of the Lord. And really quickly, um, if you do not have one of the Advent booklets, you should raise your hand and the ushers will bring you a booklet. We want to make sure that you have at least one per family. Uh, this is the, a special time of year where we have chosen to slow down and just think about what this season is really about. And so beginning the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we gather and we begin to think about the season of Christmas, you know, and people are thinking about shopping and all the different gifts and all the people they got to bless and all that good stuff. But we want to think about what, is, what do the scriptures show us regarding this season? What can we glean in this season? And so the booklet is very important to do that because what we want to do is we don't just want to preach to you sermons regarding this season of Advent. But what we want you to do is we want you to take these booklets home. And the way that we've set these booklets up, and I, this is a little bit longer introduction than I would normally do when we have a guest. But what I want you to do is I want you to take these booklets home. And starting tomorrow, there are six readings between uh, Monday and next Sunday. And so I challenge you as a family to sit down in this, in this time between now and Christmas and read one of these readings per day, whatever time it is. And that way you can think about what Christmas is really about. And hopefully this will instill within your hearts uh, what this time should be about, which is about Christ, right? About what Jesus did, but also give you some good insights. And so I challenge you to do that. And then every week you want to bring this back because there's a page there for each of the sermons that you're going to hear. And we want you to be able to do that. And don't forget, we do have a Christmas Eve service. Last year we did not do it. So I apologize. I know some of y'all were upset with me. And so I'm sorry right now because, you know, we didn't. But I'm going to make up to you, make, make it up to you this year. We're going to do it this year. And then we do have Christmas, Christmas Day. Praise the Lord. Amen. You know, we always say Jesus is the reason for the season. The test to me is like, how many of y'all going to be in church on Christmas Sunday? Amen. Oh, I can't because what? Well, because what? It's about Jesus, right? So before anything else, we can worship him together. So there's my little guilt, hallelujah, right? <laughs> Amen, right? There's, a, there's my encouragement of love. But this morning, to, to set us off in this Advent season, I have invited a guest. Now, he is a, he is a guest in, in, the, in the sense that he doesn't, he's not here every Sunday. But he's really not a guest because y'all know him and love him. And so, uh, and so you saw him, and you know, I'm sure some of you spoke to him. But uh, last year, and I just want to give you the reason why he's here today specifically. Last year in Forge, and for the, for you guys that don't know about Forge, you should know because every Tuesday I go to Forge, and so we do talk about that. So you're invited to come to Forge on Tuesdays in Winter Springs, or on Thursdays you can go in Longwood, or you can check us out online, and that's a good thing to do. Uh, but anyway, Dr. Pete spoke to the men of Forge, and he spoke a message on hope. And it stirred my heart so much. I was so encouraged by the message, I immediately booked him for this Sunday, praise the Lord. And I was like, doctor, I need you to come and share God's word on a message of hope. And so he's going to do that. So put your hands together for Dr. Pete Allison to come forward to share God's word with us. I love you, brother. Oh, man. Oh, I love that man. Oh, and I love you. It's good to be with you here at Core Faith Church. Uh, I love your worship. I love your Presbyterian, very mellow worship that you have here. Huh? 
I learn new songs every time I come, and I learn so much from you. Thank you for this opportunity to be with you, and I hope you all had a good Thanksgiving. How did that go, huh? Uh, good, good. We did too. I just got back from Atlanta. I was at my son's house up there, uh, but it's good to be back and good to be with you on this first Sunday in Advent where we lit the prophet's candle. And, uh, you know, Advent is, uh, is from a Latin word that means coming. Adventus means coming. And, and this is a long tradition in the history of the church. Uh, Advent season is. It's not taught in the Bible that we have to do it, uh, but it is, a, it is a tradition that developed to make Christmas more special, sort of to elongate the specialness of Christmas, that as Bishop said, that we would relax, do a little thinking, do a little reflective preparation. Uh, before we really celebrate Christmas together, and how good it is on Sunday. You know, pastors always worry about Christmas, when Christmas falls on Sunday. Nobody's going to come, but you have guilted them properly in Jesus' name, uh, and we all know that guilt is the gift that keeps on giving, so it, uh, it won't end. But, uh, but, but Advent is that time of the year where, where we begin to get toward the end of the year, don't we? And, and we begin to land that plane of the year. Uh, but we're so busy. I, how many of you are activators? If you're just, you don't even know what that means. Act, an activator is in the strength finder test. If you've ever taken the strength finder test, uh, some of you will chart as an activator. An activator is, I'm an activator. My son, Johnny, is an activator. It's ready, fire, aim. You know, it's uh, get up, go, be active. I'm an activator. Are you an activator? Uh, Advent is a time for activators and all the rest of us caught up in a very busy culture to stop and reflect. And I love that you have adopted the tradition. I think it's a, a wonderful tradition uh, as we think about Christmas. But Christmas isn't just on December 25th. Uh, the other day when my my... Uh, granddaughter came in the house. You know, they're living with us now because of the flood. Their house got flooded, and now they live with us for a while. We've given them a limit. No, no, no. <laughs> it's great. We have it. It's just wonderful. She came in. We had set up the Christmas tree, and she said, I love Christmas. I do, too. I do, too. Uh, but I'm so busy, sometimes I miss it. And so Jesus really is the reason of the season. He is, he is the one uh, that we come to to adore. Oh, come, let us adore him. And there's not only do we want to see him, but we want to savor him. We, we want to reflect. We don't want it to go too fast, and that's why Advent. And I think it's wonderful that you are doing this. And so would you stand with me today as we look at our text for today, Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. We have lit the prophet's candle. Thank you, family, for doing that for us. And, uh, and now we're going to read a prophetic word from Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. I'm reading. I believe it's going to be, yes, here it is. Here it is. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, in Galilee, 
of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You, God, have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you, God, according to the joy of harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For, God, you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel for fire. And here's the famous verse. Here's the famous passage. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice, from this time forward, even forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This truly is God's holy word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What a privilege. Well, as we look uh, at, at this text, and I want to unpack it for you. You know, after we read God's holy word, it has power in and of itself, doesn't it? Just by the reading of it, the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and applies it into our heart. The job of preachers is to unpack it a little bit more, and hopefully the Holy Spirit will help us understand it and apply it so that we can walk out of here with, uh, with something that's actionable into our lives. And as we look at this, we realize this is a prophecy, isn't it? And as you know, prophecy has two major dimensions in the Old Testament. There is the foretelling, and there is the foretelling, right? What's the difference? Well, uh, in many of the prophets, in the prophetic books, and there are 17 books in the Old Testament out of, here's a test for you, how many books are there in the Old Testament? 39. I know that's not fair to ask you that. I, I had to look it up too. There's 39 books in the Old Testament, and, and, and yet 17 of them are prophetic books. Now, what we often think of when we think of the work of the prophets is we think they're foretelling the future, right? That we think that's what their main job is, but it's not. Their main job was foretelling, just speaking forth the word of God to the people. God sent the prophets to all of the people of Israel because they had been called into his covenant of grace, and yet they weren't very faithful. And so the prophets had to come along and say, remember how much God loves you. Remember that he has called you, the Israelites, into his special covenant family. Remember that you're no better than all the other nations, but he called you by name and by face, and he loves you. And through you, Israel, God is going to send Messiah, the one anointed one who will come through the Israelites and bring hope and salvation to all the rest of the world. And so as the Israelites got off the track, if they started following their own way, uh, the prophets had to come to speak God's word to them to say, get back on track, right? Get back on the narrow path because you're my people and I have chosen you and I have redeemed you and I will send a Messiah 
through you to redeem the rest of the world. And so uh, th- this prophecy is, is powerful uh, as we look at it, but much of the Old Testament is foretelling, the prophets speaking to the people. But also, there is the telling of the future, isn't there? There's the foretelling of the future. Foretelling to, to, knew the, to know the next right step today as a follower, and then the foretelling of the future. Do we need both? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so the prophet Isaiah comes to tell the future that, that had an actionable, powerful impact on the people of God right then and there. 600 years before Jesus was born, this prophecy was given. Uh, it's important to understand that the Israelites were being disciplined, weren't they? Even at this point, the plan was for the Israelites to go into captivity because of their disobedience to God. But the interesting thing here is that even though they were disobedient to God and unfaithful to his covenant in many different ways, you think of the sin, think of the commandments of the great Ten Commandments that broke them all. In spite of their disobedience, God is still going to remain faithful to his covenant of grace that he gave the Israelites, that through him, through them, he would save the world. And so this prophecy of Isaiah was powerful for them, and the Jews did go into captivity. The northern ten tribes, 722 B.C. I'm going to test you on these dates at the end of the service today. 722 B.C., the Assyrians came and took the northern ten tribes into captivity. And then it was 586 B.C. when when the Babylonians came and took the, the... the lower two tribes of Judah, really, or and Benjamin, into captivity as well. And so the captivity was coming, but the hope is also coming as well. And so uh, this is a powerful text as we unpack it. In verse 1, he says, there will be no gloom for those who are in anguish. Who's in anguish? They will be in anguish, won't they? The Jews taken into captivity will be in anguish, but God is looking beyond the discipline. He's looking beyond the difficult days, and he said there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, it says that God did bring judgment upon Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Those are in the northern ten tribes. If you're like me, uh, when you were young and you had to get through church, you opened the back of your Bibles and looked at the maps. You didn't want to listen to the sermon, but you did a little geography. And if you look at the back of your Bible and you look at the maps, Zebulun and Naphtali uh, were, were in the northern tribes and that in Jesus' day, it's called Galilee. It's called Galilee. Where did Jesus start his ministry? In Galilee. Where was it headquartered? In Galilee. Did Jesus ever get down to Jerusalem? Yes, of course, two or three, three times, several times. But where, did, where was headquartered? In the, in, the, in the area of the Gentiles. You say Gentiles in Israel, in Galilee? Yes, by this time, Alexander the Great had lived. Uh, by this time, Greek influence and Roman influence had spread down into Israel. But nowhere was it more powerful than in the north. And this prophecy, 600, probably 300 years before Alexander the Great came, the Greek influence began to spread, but 600 years before Christ, he tells what's going to happen. It would be a Gentile area. It wasn't a Gentile area at this time. 
but the Gentiles will be there. And God would bring his grace to you. It almost sounds like John 3.16 here. For God so loved the world, not just Jews. That's the power of that statement. For God didn't just love the Jews. He loved those who were non-Jews as well. Aren't you glad? Because most of us are non-Jews. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And that prophecy 600 years before that was written took place that there would come one who would come from God to these people in the north. And then it says in verse 2, the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Who are the people that walk in darkness? Well, it was the Israelites at the time of Jesus. And, and, and before the time of Jesus. But it, was, but it was at the, I mean, have you read the Gospels recently? Aren't those people just, I mean, here's the Messiah, the one who created the world. And, and they don't get it. They don't get what he has to say. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these guys are evil. I mean, they give, they give our leaders today a good name, I want you to know. It, it's, it, it, the reality is, is that they were really bad people, and a lot of people were walking in darkness. But when Jesus came, this prophecy, the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Notice, the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light, past tense. Right? That's what the prophets often did is they wrote in past tense so that we would see that it would certainly come to be. Who's in control of history? God is in control of history. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, a light has shone on them. You've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. Uh, is talking about what God has done. And then it says, listen, there's all kinds of bad things that are going to take place between the time of this prophecy and really until the end of the, end of the world. Wars and rumors of wars, right? He says, the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor, you've broken. In other words, oppression seems to be a common factor down through history. The powerful oppressing the less powerful. And, and the ultimate oppressor of all on our souls is Satan, the evil one, who's put us in bondage to sin. And the reality is, is that Jesus comes, and when he comes, he's going to break the power of the oppressor. Rescued? Yes. Wasn't that a great opening illustration, Pastor Aldo giving us that? And I remember, you know, I was not lost at sea, but when I was 14, I was trapped in the mountains. Uh, we had been backpacking, and we were coming down a mountain, and we were stuck. We couldn't go any further down. And it was in the mountains of Southern California in a deep ravine. And one guy finally was able to get out in the helicopter. We could hear it for hours, but they couldn't see us. They couldn't see us. And finally, they saw us. So when you said, can you imagine when he first saw the rescuers, I was there. I was 100%. The, the oppressor has kept us all down, but Jesus has come to break the back of the ultimate oppressor, sin and death and hell. Is that a hopeful thing? Are you kidding me? That is a powerful reality. And then all of the elements of war, every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tulmon, every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. The great warrior for our souls has come. 
and his name is Jesus. Oh, this prophecy of his coming is so certain that it would take place. And then, of course, it did. Look, again, at verse 6, for to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. What do we say when we're ordaining a a, a man for ministry when he kneels in front of the congregation and the elders place their hands upon his shoulders, or or we're ordaining someone for ministry and there's several hands laid on those shoulders. What does he feel? I want you to know when I was ordained, I had about 13 to 20 hands on me. I had a backache because I felt the weight. And I knew... I knew that I could not do this alone. And that, and that even though I was called to be a servant of Jesus, as Bishop is, as Pastor Aldo, as many, I needed the power of God. I needed the Savior who was the, was the freedom fighter for our souls to do his work. A son is given, and on his shoulders is the weight of the Forget about Atlas. The government of the whole world is on the shoulders of Jesus. He is the Lord and Savior of all. And then it tells us who he is. What an incredible predictive prophecy as we unpack his names in the, in the remaining three hours that I have left. Let's... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, no, let, let me just unpack to you just those names if, if, because they're powerful, powerful names. But notice it says a son is given, a son has come. The government is on his shoulders. Somebody is going to rule. And the ultimate ruler is Jesus Christ. And here we get the sweep of history. Here we see that with the coming of Jesus is literally the fulfillment of all of human history. Creation, fall, the great rebellion. We think of, we think of Adam and Eve as the fall, but, but don't think of it as tripping into sin, like, oh, I tripped, I made a mistake. They were deliberately rebellious. They knew what they were doing. The creation, the fall, and then Quickly, there's the promise that a redeemer would come. The, 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 the seed of the woman would crush the head of the snake. Yes, the snake would strike his heel, but he would crush the head of the snake. And that is the very first indication that a Messiah, a Savior, would come. And, and, and in fact, he has come. Creation, fall, promise that he would come. Has Jesus come? Yes, of course. They looked ahead in faith in the Old Testament time to the coming of the Messiah. We look back in faith, don't we, to the reality that he has come. He has come, and he is our Savior. And so Christmas really is not about a baby. Are babies wonderful? Babies are wonderful. Babies are wonderful. You know, I know some of you look at me and you say, you are so old, you don't even remember. Yes, I do. Because I have kids, and because if you have had your own kids, you remember the trauma. There is a PTS that happens. 
uh, when you have your own kids. But then you become a grandparent, and I am that five times over, and I have them. I see them, and all my kids' friends are having babies, and I'm celebrating babies, and you know, they all bring them to the pastor, and they say, here's my baby, and pastors, what do you say? This is a baby. Thank God. They want you to say this is the most beautiful baby that was ever born, but those were my kids, not yours. I'm going to know. But the reality is Christmas is really not about the baby per se. It's about the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, taking on human flesh. It's the enfleshing of the eternal Son of God. It's called the Incarnation. It's absolutely a miracle that this could take place, but only the Creator, of course, could do that. But, but He has come, and so we really see that we live right now in the time of fulfillment of prophecy. Don't say, don't think that prophecy is not fulfilled. It has been fulfilled. It has been fulfilled. Jesus came, but now is there more to come? Absolutely. So we live in the time period between the already of the first fulfillment of this prophecy and the not yet of the coming fulfillment. We are between times. And how easy it is for us to forget that because we, we are so wrapped up. Like I said, we're activators. We're busy. We got stuff to do. We got work to do, kids to take care of, jobs to fulfill, and life goes faster. We've created a culture that takes more energy than we even have to sustain it. I mean, it's crazy. Are you tired? Of course you're tired. Are you exhausted? Of course. That's why God commanded a Sabbath. Relax a little bit, will you? I got this. Take a day off. But Christmas is a time for us to remember fulfillment and the second coming. We think about the first coming, but the first coming inevitably makes us think about the second coming, and that gives us hope and perspective for living in the here and now. Who is our Savior? Well, he tells us. Now, I notice that in the, uh, uh, in the New King James Version of the Bible, it, 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 it maybe makes five names here, and there's an argument for that. And so Bishop is not preaching today, so he can clean this mess up next week if I create it right now. Uh, but but uh, it's difficult to understand the Hebrew at this point. And so some translations, like the New King James Translation of the Bible, calls Jesus a wonder and then a counselor. But, but, but also, uh, many Hebrew scholars tell us that those ought to go together. Uh, Bishop, where are you on that point? Okay, he's with me on this, so it's good to know that, right? I should have checked out ahead of time. Uh, but, but Jesus is called here, the king that's coming, your freedom fighter, the Messiah who's coming is called a wonderful counselor. Let me unpack that quickly because it's kind of like saying he's a wonder of a counselor. Don't raise your hand. Uh, all of us have served as counselors to other people, right? And some of us have gone to counselors to get advice and help uh, from them too. But Jesus is a wonder of a counselor. The Hebrew word is Pele, and it's used of the angel of the Lord in Judges 13, 18. Uh, it, it speaks of a name too wonderful to even comprehend. Uh, unfathomable is the idea. Do you get that? He's an unfathomable, wonderful counselor. 
In other words, he's so great as a counselor that it's hard to even comprehend. He, sur he surpasses every imaginable idea of what a counselor could ever give you. If you've ever had a successful, positive counseling experience, you walk out of there going, boy, that was good. I got some stuff I can do now. I know how to, I know how to get through this problem a little bit better. Um, Jesus is supreme. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 2, verse 2 through 3. He says he prays that their hearts would be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Catch this. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Your Messiah, your Savior, your Lord has all the hidden treasures of wisdom. He has all that you need all the time. He is a wonder of a counselor. And so what that means to me is that God doesn't need my ideas. My, my wife tells a story when she was in uh, junior high. Uh, that's when they had junior high. Now they have middle school, right? So she, she was always that student that when the teacher asked a question, she was oh, and, and she would always be raising her hand, right? Some of you were those types of people. She was that. And I, she remembers the, the time that her teacher, because she was always raising her hand, oh, I got the answer, I got the answer. He would say to her, her last name was Koval. Koval, when I need you, I'll wave a banana, you know? <laughs> that was his not too nice way of saying, be quiet. Um, the reality is, is that God doesn't need our input. And yet so often, how we relate to the God of the universe, even in our prayers, is, God, this is a great idea. You ought to do this. Well, we, we don't pray the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We say, this is my will. Make it happen here. We see as God as sort of our lackey. We see God as the one who we command. No, no, that's not the way it is because our Lord Jesus Christ is a wonder of a counselor, he tells us. And so at Christmas, what brings hope to us is when we understand that his great gift to us is wisdom. His great gift to us is wisdom. What a powerful thing it is. And the gift that you could give back to him is to listen. That's why, that's why to slow down at Christmas time is a good time in the Advent season to remember that Jesus is a wonder of a counselor. You and I need leadership in our lives all the time, and he's ready to give it. He's willing to give it. It's his gift to you, the wisdom for your life, and so now the gift you can give back at Christmas is to listen, to spend time in listening. Now, because he's your king and a wonderful uh, wonder of a counselor, he is also the mighty God, El Gabor in Hebrew. El Gabor a mighty Jesus is God of God, Lord of Lords, very God of very God. When the New Testament says that he is in the image of God, he's saying he's in the very likeness of God. Remember what Jesus said to Philip? Philip said, show us the Father and it'll be enough for us. And he said, have I been so long with you? He who has seen me has seen the Father. And this prophecy reminds us at Christmas time that the baby who came is mighty God. 
El Gabor, a hero of a God, a hero whose chief characteristic is that he is the God. Uh, we want human heroes, athletic heroes, political heroes, whatever. Uh, but the reality is, is Jesus is the Messiah who came, uh, and he is mighty God. One thinker put it this way, if Shakespeare was to come into the room, and I don't even know if you, I've only read a little bit of Shakespeare. I can't hardly read Shakespeare, great author of the past. If Shakespeare was to come into this room, we would all rise up to meet him. But if that person, Jesus, was to come into it, we should all fall down and try to kiss the hem of his garment because he's a wonder of a counselor and because he is mighty God. I love the story of the retired Marine who became a teacher. This guy was a tough guy, and uh, he became a teacher, and they, they assigned him to an inner city school where it was a really tough school filled with tough students. And uh, before the school season started, he injured his back, and he had to have a cast uh, around his back. And so he had the cast put on, but it was a thin cast, and he was able to wear his shirt and tie and coat over that. That's when they wore those things in school classrooms. And so he comes into the classroom uh, on the first day of school, and the students, there's some tough guys there, and they looked at him. They said, I hear he's a Marine, so let's not push him too much right away. And the tough guys were kind of looking back. And he went over, teacher opened the window, and he went over and sat down at the desk and looked at the students. And a gust of wind came in, blew his tie up into his face. So he smoothed his tie out, took the stapler, and stapled it to his chest. <laughs> and the... And the tough guys in the room said, okay, we know where we stand. <laughs> and it was a very positive uh, semester. We tend to think of gentle Jesus, meek and mild. We tend to think of the Jesus in some of the TV shows and the movies, sort of walking around like this, in an, eth in an ethereal mist with no clue on what's going on. Jesus was large and in charge. He was a carpenter, and they worked with wood, but they also worked with stone. He was very winsome, and, and, and some of the toughest guys followed him, fishermen, carpenters, soldiers. Why? Because he can be trusted. He's a man of action. Very God, very God. The gift he gives you because he's... El Gabor, the gift he gives you is power. Power is the ability to get something done. And at Christmas, the Messiah gives you power. And the gift that you and I could give back is simply trust. Listen, trust. But then it goes on and it confuses us. He's a wonderful counselor. He's mighty God, and then it says he is the everlasting Father. Now, isn't that a little confusing to our Trinitarian ways? We are Trinitarian, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here we see that the eternal Son of God is called the everlasting Father. And you say, that's confusing. Don't let it confuse you. What it's basically clarifying here is an understanding that because the government is on Jesus' shoulders, shoulders, he is a king, he is the leader, and in the ancient times, the kings were often called father. They were often called father. Why? Because they were supposed to take care of the people. They were supposed to act like a good father, a gracious, loving, strong father. Dads, we need your strength. We need your muscles. We need your nose sometime. No, you're not going to do it. Yes, 
you're going to do it. The reality is, he is the everlasting father in the sense, not that he is taking the place of God the father, but that he is a king who understands that you're his child. Whatever age you are, and some of you uh, are, are a little older like me, we still need a father. We were never intended to live at any stage of our life without a father and God is that Father, and our Lord Jesus mediates that fathering role of God into our life, where He tenderly knows what you're going through. He cares for what you're going through. His gift to you is safety. He's your Father. He loves you. He will lead you and guide you in the way you should go. And your gift to Him at this Christmas could be to love Him like a Father. Just love Him and worship Him and praise Him a wonder of a counselor, mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And we're drawing to a close. And we see that the reality of peace is that what Jesus has come to do is gospel-focused, isn't it? He went to the cross to provide peace for us. And I don't know how, how you're feeling, those of you who are here today, or those of you who are watching us online, I don't know how, how peaceful you feel. You might be thinking about tomorrow when you've got to get to work. You might be thinking about a situation right now in your family life. You just came from Thanksgiving, and sometimes Thanksgiving is not when loving families get together and it's all sweet and kind. You might have had a, a, a disastrous Thanksgiving, I don't know. But the reality is, is that what Jesus comes to give us is peace, and peace in two major ways. First, peace with God, and then the peace of God in our hearts. But the peace of God in our hearts has to come after having peace with God. And that's what Romans is talking about in Romans 5 verse 1. The apostle Paul says this, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained our introduction by grace into this faith in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. See, the reality is, is that we're going to celebrate communion here in just a minute, but, but uh, this, this celebration of communion is so powerful because Jesus himself, as God's substitute for our sins, has come to take away our sin, our curse, my curse. That's why communion is such a personal thing, isn't it? You can look across the room and say, Jesus came and died for that person's sin? But this is, this is intending for us to be as a family together, realizing that he took my sin as well as yours. And I'm thankful that he's taken your sin. But boy, the older I get, the more I see my own sin. The longer you follow Jesus doesn't mean you don't see your sin. It means you see it more clearly. You stay close because the light shines into all of those dark places. And so the reality is, is that Jesus is the great peacemaker between God and man. And if you have accepted him by grace, through faith alone, this table is for you. If you haven't done that yet, this is a great time to do it. The first Sunday in Advent. To come to the point and say, I'm a rebel, I'm a rebel. And I need a savior. I, I'm tired of playing a spiritual game. I'm tired of playing like I have it all together. I don't. I'm a sinner. I admit it. And I trust you, Jesus, that you took my sin, my curse. But then once you've done that, once you've done that, then you can have the peace of God because you know if, 
Whoever believes in him, how does that go? Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And you're adopted as a daughter and son. And so your core uh, has been changed. Your identity has been changed. He knows your name. He's given you a new name. You are the deeply beloved, redeemed daughter and son of the Most High God. And that can give you peace in your heart when you mess up. Because you can run back and you can say, you're not angry at me, are you? And no. I poured out all my anger on my son on the cross. How could I be angry at you? I want you to obey so that you can flourish. I want you to grow. I don't want you to sin because sin hurts you. It hurts our relationship, yes. But it hurts you more. And so the peace of God is that because of what Christ accomplished, we can go running back to him all the time, every day. What a gift at Christmas time. The prince of peace, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. His gift to you is peace. And your gift back to him could be praise, which you do so well here at Core Faith Church. I love that. So here it is. I pray that your Advent would be a time of hope. A time of hope where you, uh, along with me, reflect upon the names of Jesus. The name above all names. The wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the eternal father, the prince of peace. His gifts to you are his wisdom, his power, his fatherly care, and his peaceful inward ways. My prayer for you, Core Faith, is that you would enjoy Jesus at a deeper level than you have felt in, in quite some time, and that by the grace of God, Jesus might be all to you that you need him to be and want to be. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we bow before you. We ask that within your power you would come into our very presence. Come into our hearts in a way, Lord Jesus, that we haven't experienced with you in, in maybe some time, that by your Holy Spirit, you would enable us to understand who you are. Counsel, give us your power. Lead us like the perfect Father you are. And give us the peace in our hearts that you're in charge and that we're right our eternal God. We thank you and pray and praise you because we love you based on your first love for us. In your holy name we pray, Jesus.